welcome to Safe Inside, brought to you by Tribe. I'm Jeremy Loomis, and these are my conversations with Sandra Fields, an LPC and certified clinical trauma treatment provider with over 35 years experience helping people who've been through trauma. Welcome back to Safe Inside. I'm Jeremy. I'm Sandy. And we started last time in our discussion about the vagus nerve. We identified what it is, how important it is throughout the body. Um, Today, we're going to emphasize how stress affects the vagus nerve, which thereby affects really your whole life. Uh, We began our discussion about this last time, so don't miss that one if you're you're just joining us now. I would definitely say to go back to last week's. Um, but our, our emphasis this time will be how stress affects it. So, um, Sandy, why don't we pick back up with the fight or flight mechanism? It sounds great. Sounds great. So I was speaking last time about that fight or flight mechanism and about it not being an all or nothing. There is a gradation, but anytime it happens, our bodies perceive this as a physical threat. And so even if it's an internal kind of thought process that causes this through our Vegas system. So um, to kind of recap a little bit of the, the physical responses, the blood pressure will rise as you might think that it would, and our heart rate will speed up. Um, and our adrenaline and I, our adrenaline and our cortisol will dump. These are our stress hormones that you hear about quite a bit. By the way, a side note that's kind of interesting, the next time you're kind of anxious, see if you can taste a metallic taste in your mouth. If you can, that's actually the taste of your adrenaline. So, or it may feel like you've got a fork stuck on your teeth or you're salivating a little bit more. So that's just a side kind of a cool note. But if you note that, let that be your cue that you need to calm your body down. Um, So metallic taste in your mouth says that your, your fight or flight system has activated, right? Um, Because of that, and because our, um, our bodies think that we are in danger. Everything starts sort of moving towards our vital organs to protect it and to keep, get us ready to run away. So circulation of the blood to our extremities will be slower. Um, oxygen level to our extremities may go down because everything's being sent to our vital organs to again, protect and to get us ready to either fight or flight, right? Um, our blood clots, we might develop blood clots more easily because our blood is protecting us from bleeding if we're in a fight or if some bear comes up and claws us, right? So um, our fuel shortage decreases. So we're not going to, to store our fuel. Uh, insulin activity may go off the chart or it may, so. I mean, it, 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 in slowing down the decreasing, it decreases a great deal. So our digestion will decrease, our salivation. And then like we talked about before, because we're in this space, we're not able to relate or connect very much. Now I'm talking about this as if this is a one-time deal or it's just happening occasionally. But in our last session or episode, yeah, uh, we talked about how chronic childhood trauma or neglect would affect this. So I want to think for just a moment, take a moment to just think about 
if you lived in an environment where your dorsal vagus nerve is activated all the time and not your front vagus nerve, that, that good side of the vagus nerve, if that's activated all the time, for instance, if your insulin activity decreases all the time, you are more likely to eventually end up obese and type 2 diabetic. We see that as a direct correlation to adverse childhood experiences, which we've talked about in a previous episode, right? Um, if your digestion slows down and your intestinal mobility slows down, we see for a long time, we see the development of polyps or we see the development of an ulcer or we see the development of IBS. And again, that's directly correlated with adverse childhood experiences. So we may have those issues. And even as adults, if you live in a long-term period of stress, these things are going to start happening because you're going to live in this perpetual sort of survival state and your body is going to continue to decrease your fuel shortage, your insulin activity, your digestion, all of these things. Um, if you grow up with that because you don't have the capacity or the ability to relate and connect, you don't learn the social skills that you might need. So you might be more isolated and more lonely. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, um, I, think that, I think the word you used was disconnecting. Yes. And uh, on the face of it, in terms of socializing, that can seem to be something intentional, deliberate withdrawing like a hermit separating yourself to live out in the woods or in a cabin up in a mountain right but mm -hmm. but it, it sounds like what you're describing is um a gradual disconnection that's that's happening because uh something is less and less resonating between two people yes and i'm, I'm not even necessarily talking about someone who's in the woods in a cabin um I'm talking about the lack of authentic, genuine, true connection, where we're vulnerable with other people, they're vulnerable with us, you know, so it, it can look like people out and about with other people, they work with other people, they might even go out and have happy hour with other people, but they're not truly connected, and they don't feel connected with other people because that capacity has been limited because they're in survival mode, right? I, I sometimes have clients say, I don't think I have the capacity to love. And of course they have the capacity to love. They, it's there, but what's happened is they've lived their entire life in survival mode. So it's a matter of getting out of survival mode so that they can learn to use that capacity for relating and connecting mm. with other people. So these are some First of the ways we're talking about capacity. We're kind of talking about how much you can hold at a time. Mm -hmm. So it might be hard if you're listening to this and, you, and that's the way you feel that might be um, it might be hard to find any kind of hope for that to change. So I hope I'm hoping that what you're paying attention to as you hear us discuss this today is that maybe there are some things that you haven't thought to try because why would you think to try these things? Sometimes you kind of have to develop a context before you even see, oh, 
Oh, this actually sounds promising because this sounds like pretty direct scientific, you know, proven results that we can reach for. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I want to remind us that we're talking about a gradation again. So picturing that bell curve shape or a, you know, kind of a graph that goes up and down. And so as we're going up with our, our amygdala response, if, if things get really scary or really stressed or really whatever, when we're in that fight or flight mode, so remember flight would look like worry, concern, anxiety, fear, panic of that gradation. If we are in fight mode, that would look like frustration, irritation, anger, rage, again, in that fight or flight. However, both of those sides have an I can quality about it. I can run away. I can fight. I can run away. I can fight. Um, and so, you know, those, those have an I can quality. If things continue to get really scary or overwhelming or, or a long time, uh, we move from I can to an I can't quality. We get that overwhelm and I can't. And we sort of, we start shutting down. And this is known as that freeze response. When we are in that freeze response, we are all the way moving towards the top of that gradation. So at the beginning, it might look like helplessness. I don't know what to do. I don't think I can do anything. Nothing's gonna, nothing I do is gonna be effectual. We start conserving energy because it's that learned helplessness. I can't do anything, so I might as well just conserve my energy and not do anything. We see a lot of depression here, numbness. Some of my clients report, I just feel numb all the time. I don't feel anything. I feel empty um, all the time. This is also where we see that dissociation. Dissociation is a type of freeze. If we get all the way to the top of that gradation, our body actually can collapse. So there's a couple, they're sort of humorous, but, um, and no one was hurt in them, but on YouTube, there are a couple videos. If you have ever watched those people, they film people on the amusement rides, like that slingshot ride, and they're really funny as they scream and cry and whatever, and we all watch and laugh at it. But there are a couple on there, and if you put in YouTube, if you go in and, and do one that says guy freezes on ride, you will see a guy that's not all the way at the top yet, but watch him all the way through. You might want to make it, you uh, mute it because the screaming's really loud from the, his companion, but uh, his eyes are really wide, his eyebrows lift, his mouth is open, and he is frozen but he's aware, he's taking in all of the data that he can, his body's trying to figure out, am I gonna survive this and how can I survive this? I don't think I'm gonna survive this. And then if you go in there and put guy passes out on ride, you will see the very top of the dorsal response where a guy is on the ride and as they slingshot him, he continually passes out. He's not aware that he's passing out, but he continually does. He comes up, he wakes up, looks around, and goes, his body goes, oh, I'm dying. And it, he passes out again. 
This is uh, the ways that our bodies are in order to protect us at the moment of death. You can see that in animals, when uh, a lion gets an antelope, it will just shut totally down and, and become immobile and freeze. And it's a way of keeping us from feeling that moment of death, our guts being torn out to be kind of blunt around that. But like, it's kind of fun. It's I'm sorry? It's already for it's already over for me, so I might as well not feel it. Yes, pretty much. That's where it is. So when we move from that I can to that I can't, we're moving up into that area right there. So again, that's that's that helplessness, that numbness, that depression, and it's dissociation. So I I want to make sure that I say that because dissociation is a type of freezing. Um when that happens and our ventral, I mean, our dorsal vagal nerve is really activated, our fuels at this point, our fuel shortage, storage, our fuel storage and our insulin activity increase. Um, our endorphins that help numb and raise the pain threshold, they're flowing because we don't wanna feel that moment that, that everything goes bad. At the same time, our heart rate actually decreases, our blood pressure will decrease, our body temperature can go down in this moment. Our muscle tone, where in the fight or flight, our muscle tone is really kind of, we call that body armoring sometimes, it gets so tight. In this particular part of that gradation or amygdala response, our body tone gets slack. Um, our facial expressions can go slack as well. Eye contact, we no longer make it or we struggle to make it. We become very flat when we talk like this. Um, we, we can, our awareness of our human voice and other people's human voice goes way down. And our social behavior is almost exactly. non-existent. I'm sorry? How do you mean that exactly? I mean, we're not really hearing people. We don't hear ourselves. We don't hear other people. Our vagus system really has a lot of clusters in our throat. And it, we, we no longer become aware of it because our ventral vagus, I mean, our dorsal vagus nerve is so activated that none of this ventral vagus part in our throat is really stimulated. Mm. And as we've been talking about social behavior, that relation and connectivity, it's non-existent almost at this point. Our sexual responses decrease almost if they don't go away totally. And our immune response decreases greatly. So we're more apt to get a cold or a virus or anything like that because our immune responses are so decreased at this point. Uh, so it's, it's, it's if you, we're preparing to die. So remember that the fight or flight, oh, uh, that amygdala response, there, it is a gradation. And it moves from that, that worry, concern, or that frustration all the way up to dissociation, I'm numb, I'm dying. Uh, there is a, a gradation there. Now, some people who have experienced long-term childhood abuse or long-term abuse as an adult or neglect um, as for children, they, they tend to get to this area really fast because their dorsal vagus nerve is really toned. <laughs> and so I'm laughing because it's not sad, but you kind of have to use a little bit of humor to, to manage these difficult conversations. But right. 
but they get there really fast. So they'll, they'll dissociate quite a bit. And it's a way of dealing with life without dealing with life because at any moment they could die, right? I mean, it feels that way for these children. So they, they move up there. And our extreme form of dissociation might look like uh, dissociative identity disorder or what we used yeah. to call multiple personality disorder, something like that. I yeah. know that we all dissociate occasionally, but yeah. And this is this, I want to be clear that this is speculation right now on my part, but I have wondered if the prevalence of these problems and these relational disconnections in our society may directly correlate with the increase that we see in nihilistic philosophy and just the sense that everything is meaningless because if people have such a shortened sense of quality connection with one another why would that not be your conclusion about the world and the universe i i would actually agree again it's speculation but but yes i i would agree with that i i think that you know we've been through even the last couple years we have been through a lot of collective global collective trauma we've been through covid we've been through riots we've been through racial issues we've been through um election issues we've been through women's issues we we well i say that we're going through all of that we're st we're still in the midst of all of those things uh, well and that's and that's a funny thing too isn't it we sort of have to we sort of have to fit things in boxes to make it through our daily life so we have been through it we are going through it but but we think of it as have been because it was the major news headline and now it's yes. an undercurrent that's still happening that for some of us, some of us have the luxury of excusing ourselves from the main current of it still happening. Some of us, not so yeah, much. Absolutely. And we're seeing that in mental health statistics. For instance, in 2019, the percentage of the population um, that was what we consider diagnosably depressed, so clinically depressed is what I think is the vernacular, um, was about 15%. Today, it's about 30%. So it's doubled that they meet all the criteria for, or, for depression. Anxiety, the exact same thing, about 15% of the population in 2019 had a clinical anxiety disorder. Now it's about 30% of the population. And between our doom scrolling, which is a term that's come out in the last couple of years because we, we can't get enough information to stay safe, oh, between our doom scrolling and the, the media and the headlines and our social media and, and the division, and not just in our country, but in many countries, by the way, all of those things cause an amygdala response. And depending where we are in our personal lives, it's going to make a difference on how far up that that gradation or that curve that we might go um, in the middle of all that. And we're sort of living in a world of constant stress. Um, even the fastness of our stress, I mean, of our life pace um, has increased so dramatically that everything feels frenetic. Um, I was thinking just yesterday, um, randomly, I have random thoughts that come about and I use my credit card. And you know, now we have the chip. And so we have to put it into the little machine and wait for it to like, 
I don't know what it does, but do whatever it does in the ether world and then tell me that my card's approved and then it yells at me to take my card back out, right? <laughs> we, we had gone from swiping that. Um, but I remember way back when I was a teenager and I worked at a grocery store and I remember everybody writing checks and we would stand in line and they would give us the check and then they would give us their driver's license and we would take a moment. We would write down their driver's license number and their date of birth in case the check wasn't good. And we would take that moment and we would put that all in there, give them back their driver's license. And that seemed a normal part of how we did things, right? And then there were these commercials um, a few years ago, you all may remember them. It was one of the credit card companies is, you know, to speed us up in the grocery store or at all of these places, instead of using cash, you were supposed to swipe your card really fast, right? And speed everything up because we wouldn't want to be holding anybody up behind us. We have to hurry. And we got places to go too. We've got our lives to live. Yes, we've got so much to do. And the, the frenetic pace of our lives has increased tremendously. Even since the end of the quarantine, I've noticed everybody's lives are much more frenetic, um, is the word. So I was thinking about that yesterday, about how that impacts our bodies. Because if we have to hurry through everything, it feels, you know, we have this pressure on us all the time. So that amygdala response is happening to many of us all the time. When you, it, when you first started talking about this point, it made me think of, uh, you know, not long after we all got sent home because uh, well, I was working in a high school at the time and then COVID shut everything down, we, we suddenly had to adjust to do it all virtually, um, which is great when your business model intends it and not so great when you suddenly have to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I remember spring break came up pretty soon after we all got sent home. So I was mostly at home. And most of spring break, I spent with the radio on. And I was yes. listening to NPR say roughly the same thing hour by hour. And eventually I realized this is not the kind of repetition I need right now. This is not putting me in a good place. And it's not keeping me up with what's happening because things aren't developing quickly enough for there to be new things to hear. This is just keeping me in spin cycle. Right. But we were all doing that. And many of us are still doing that because we're trying to take in the data to stay safe because it doesn't feel like a very safe world. Many of my clients um, over the last couple of years, it's the first time in 40 years of therapy that I have had clients bring to me really deep concerns about climate change and the environment and the worry that it's going, there's going to be an apocalyptic moment in their lifetimes. And how are they going to deal with that? And it's from all of this doom scrolling. And so they're living in this world where we're in somewhere in that amygdala response all the time if we are not intentional about getting out of it. Mm. So, so uh, as we're as we're wrapping this one up and and kind of preparing for the next one, um, is there anything else we need to cover about um, the stress effects? Um, no, I, I other than I think that it's really important to keep in mind that our thoughts and our behaviors have such a direct impact on our 
physical health, that even when we feel helpless around those things, we are not helpless around that. And I think in our next episode, we're going to talk about some specific things that you can do to help bring yourself back to that ventral vagus response um, stimulation that even in this midst of this crazy global craziness, <laughs> that's the only words I have for this right now, this chaotic craziness, right? The right um, words. Yeah. Um, but even in the midst of all that, you can find this sense of peace and move your body into that, that uh, good, healthy area. So, mm. yeah. Yes. So thanks for sticking with us as we uh, describe the problem. Let's learn a bit about how to be friends with your vagus nerve and learn to calm it and calm yourself next time. Join us then. See ya.